Hello, and welcome to Coaster Kings Radio. I'm Ian O'Donnell, and today we continue our ongoing mini-sode series, The Regional Park Story. This week, we're going to take a break from discussing the history of regional parks as a whole and explore some of the otter projects that this movement produced. In the initial slew of Disneyland-inspired parks, Florida's first true regional-style park wouldn't be Busch Gardens, but rather Pirate's World. Developed by the Recreation Corporation of America, the park opened on April 8, 1967, in Dana, a city situated between Miami and Fort Lauderdale. The park was designed by dual employee Bob Minnick, who had gone to have a long career in the Six Flags Corporation. The park opened with 15 rides, including a pirate boat ride, Sky Trail Sky Ride, the Crow's Nest, a unique observation tower relocated from the 1964 World's Fair, an Arrow Flume Ride, also relocated from the 1964 World's Fair, Wild Beetle Race, a Schiff Wild Mouse, and most notably the Steeplechase, a four-tracked coaster which featured individual horse-themed cars that simulated a horse race. The Steeplechase was originally built in 1908 for Brooklyn Steeplechase Park, and remains an icon of Coney Island, despite its final years running in Florida. After the successful opening, Recreation Corporation of America would develop a film stage for the site, and a slew of low-budget movies were actually filmed at the park, under the Pirate's World Films label. Most famously, Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny, a 1972 musical film made famous by Mystery Science Theater 3000. The park also found success as a concert venue, starting in 1969, hosting groups like Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Steve Miller Band, and David Bowie. These concerts would lead to crowd problems, drug use, and a general decline in the public opinion of the park. So by the 1971 opening of Walt Disney World, Pirate's World's fate seemed sealed. The park would declare bankruptcy in 1973, and condos now occupy its site. The opening of Disney World in 1971 marked a major shift in Florida tourism, with Central Florida beginning to draw tourists from and visitors from both coasts. Disney's success resulted in the construction of many tourist attractions throughout the 1970s, but one of the most ambitious was Circus World. Looking to expand their business, the owners of Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus looked to develop a winter home for the circus, which would be combined with a regional-style theme park. In 1974, the first planned component of this would open in Haines City, Florida, around 25 miles south of Disney World. The first component was the Circus World Showcase, a massive building designed to look like a giant circus tent, which contained exhibits, performance space, as well as previews of the upcoming theme park. Around the same time as the park's development, the circus itself was acquired by Mattel, who would also acquire the theme park. After numerous delays and design changes, the theme park component would partially open in 1975, mostly consisting of standard carnival rides, attractions where guests could try various circus acts, like a trapeze, tightrope, or riding elephants, and of course the circus itself. In 1977, the park would add the arrow-launched loop, Zoomerang, followed by the large-scale out-and-back woody Roaring Tiger in 1978. With attendance dipping following Epcot's opening in 1982, Mattel would sell the park to developer Jim Monaghan in 1984, who would go on to sell it to publisher Harcourt, Brace, and Jovanovic, or HBJ, in 1986. The publisher had also acquired Cypress Gardens and the SeaWorld Parks, 
and relaunched Circus World in 1987 as Boardwalk and Baseball. This light re-theme of the park saw it take on a turn-of-the-century boardwalk theme. HBJ was so confident with this brand, they actually integrated it into the development of SeaWorld San Antonio. However, this confidence was misplaced, and the debt-ridden HBJ would end up selling their parks to Anheuser-Busch in 1989, who quickly saw the financial failures of boardwalk and baseball and ended up closing the park at the end of the 1990 season. Far from the warmth of Florida, other park developers looked for ways to maximize a park's profitability by building one indoors. The first high-profile indoor amusement park would be Old Chicago, a combination amusement park and shopping mall that would open in 1975 in the Chicago suburb of Bolingbrook, Illinois. Developer Robert Brindle was inspired by a visit to Knott's Berry Farm to bring an entire park indoors. The project was housed in a massive building designed to mimic a World's Fair pavilion, and the halls were themed to a Chicago street at the turn of the century, with smaller, unique stores instead of the chain boutiques and department stores seen at malls across the United States. The center of the mall would be home to the fairgrounds, a massive open space that featured various rides including the Log Race, Arrow of Flume, and three roller coasters, the Chicago Cat, a Pinfari Zyklone Coaster, a Chance Rides Toboggan Coaster, and the Chicago Loop, one of the first Arrow Corkscrew Coasters that opened in 1975, alongside Knott's Berry Farm's own corkscrew. The project was plagued with cost overruns, and the lack of anchor stores made it a less attractive shopping center than other Chicagoland malls. The lack of major amusement parks in the area had been partially what attracted Old Chicago's California developers to the project and the location. Unfortunately, it also attracted the Marriott Corporation, whose Great America project would open in 1976, further dampening hopes for Old Chicago. The park's ownership shifted in 1977, and while management tried various improvements and additions, little seemed to help the complex's struggling attendance. On March 18, 1980, the fairgrounds were closed, and the rest of the mall soon followed. Most of the park's attractions were relocated, with the Chicago Loop initially going to the Alabama State Fairgrounds before running as Canopy Corkscrew at Canopy Lake Park from 1986 to 2023. The year after Old Chicago's opening, another indoor amusement park would open and fail even more spectacularly. Sid and Marty Croft had made a name for themselves in puppetry and in children's television, eventually developing the enormously popular children's show H.R. Puffin Stuff, which debuted in 1969. Their famous puppeteers led to additional shows and even a collaboration with Six Flags that resulted in Croft puppet shows, a Croft-designed dark ride, and even the inclusion of Six Flags in the Croft's own Lidsville TV series. In the 1970s, the Crofts were approached by the developers of the Omni International Complex in Atlanta, Georgia, to integrate a themed experience to their new building. They developed a four-level themed experience, which included a crystal carousel and a pinball machine-themed dark ride. The park was reached by the world's largest freestanding escalator, with guests following a general path to experience all the attractions. Unfortunately, the park was unable to live to the hype, and after the park's grand opening on May 24, 1976, attendance sharply declined. The rides proved mechanically complicated and unreliable, and tickets actually cost more than nearby Six Flags Over Georgia. Low attendance and the resulting revenue led to the park's closure a mere six months after its opening. 
There would be other attempts at indoor theme parks, such as Six Flags' ill-fated Auto World in Flint, Michigan, and Power Plant in Baltimore, Maryland. And Canada's West Edmonton Mall would see success with the 1983 opening of Fantasyland, now renamed Galaxyland. But it wouldn't be until 1992 when Minnesota's Mall of America would collaborate with Knott's Berry Farm to open Camp Snoopy that a successful indoor theme park would come to the United States. Bringing things full circle to Robert Brindle in the trip to Knott's Berry Farm that led him to, to develop Old Chicago. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this mini-episode, please leave a comment or rating wherever you are listening. You can find interesting articles, exclusive updates, and a range of theme park-related merchandise at thecoasterkings.com. For Coaster Kings, this is Ian O'Donnell. Join me next week as we continue exploring the regional park story. The Chicago Loop, the scariest ride around. Rides for the little ones, a circus for everyone. Over 31 rides and attractions. Oh, Chicago is the good time place. Only 30 minutes from downtown. It's the first indoor high rides world of fantasy and family fun. The world of Sid and Marty Croft. Day or night. The year round. In downtown Atlanta, inside Omni International. Opening May 26th. Now all the fun is indoors. Reservations recommended.